Let's look to the Lord in a word of prayer. Lord, we just wouldn't be so unwise in our fallen state, redeemed though it may be, and endeavoring as we can to walk in sanctification, not to realize our limitations to present and to receive. And so, Father, we just ask by the Spirit's aid that uh, we might just be enabled to present and to receive what is part of your word, your precious holy word, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we've got one of the most interesting sections of Scripture. I think that um, if I were to give it a title, I would call it The Marvelous Mother and Her Relative. (laughs) Of course, it has to do with uh, Mary the mother of our Lord. (coughs) It's interesting to see what uh, has been done in relation to Mary. I bought a book in connection with our um, (coughs) study this morning. It's called The Mother of Jesus. And the reason why I bought this is it was written by a great Southern Baptist Greek scholar, A.T. Robertson. He did a uh, grammar among uh, all kinds of books he wrote, but among other things, he wrote this great big thick grammar on the Greek Greek New Testament in the light of historical research. Greek grammar. And and, uh, just... uh, I I used that book for a doorstop. (laughs) No, actually... uh, I, I'm privileged to have it in my uh, electronic library, so I can I can access it much more easily and access its contents. And it, it, it's, uh, but uh, he was a great. But he wrote this book on the mother of Jesus, and um, beautiful little book. But um, in the, toward the end, the la- last chapters. Uh, one chapter, this chapter 14, he has the adoration of Mary by Roman Catholics. And he just deals in a page and a half with that. And then he goes to chapter 15 and he says uh, the neglect of Mary by Protestants. And uh, I don't think we need to go to either extreme. We need to avoid the extremes. So, let's, uh, could I get somebody to pass these out? This is an outline of uh, the chapter, or the section, just the section that we're dealing with. And this comes from the Outline Bible by uh, H.L. Wilmington. Beautiful book, wonderful outlines. 
and it just this outline is just part of um, and we'll just work our way through this outline uh, that he has provided and another beautiful outline by an Anglican uh, scholar he's with the Lord now but he was he was allegedly supposed to be one of the uh, founders of Dallas Theological Seminary, W.H. Griffith Thomas. And he wrote a, wrote a book on a, a summary of um, Luke's Gospel. Wonderful outline in there. But we'll, we'll stay with this outline here. And uh, he starts out that this is to Mary concerning the birth of Jesus in verse 26 through 38. And please have your Bibles open because I'm going to ask you to look at some things in comparison and in one section of contrast. And yeah. What book is it? Luke. Thank you. Luke chapter 1 verses 26 through 38. And please, free to, please, please feel free to ask questions at any juncture. Holler, whistle, raise your hand. <laughs> you know what the old Chinese proverb says, don't you? He who asks a question is stupid. <laughs> but he who asks no question is stupid forever. <laughs> So don't be stupid forever anyway. <laughs> or write your question down, whatever. So, we read here in, uh, now in the sixth month the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. The sixth month in regard to what? That is referring back to Elizabeth. She was in the sixth month of her pregnancy. And so, at that juncture, the angel Gabriel is sent by God to Galilee. Now, the question is, is um, there are two angels that are mentioned by name in Scripture. This one, and who's the other one? Michael, Michael the archangel. Uh, the angel appeared, Gabriel the angel appeared to Daniel in uh, chapter 9 of, of the book of Daniel, which we're starting to study in Sunday school. And... Uh, and at 9, chapter 9, uh, where is it? No, this is not. Or chapter 8, verse 16. Daniel 8, 16. And it says there, 
Then it happened when I, Daniel, had seen the vision and was seeking the meaning that suddenly there stood before me one having the appearance of a man. And I heard a man's voice between the banks of the Ulai who, who called and said, Gabriel, make this man understand the vision. And then also, um, let me look here and see if... Well, we won't bother to look that up. Also in chapter 9, verse 21. And um, then here in this portion in, in Luke 1, 26. His, his uh, name means man of God. And the name denotes the substance of the angel's message concerning the incarnation of the Son of God. The names of the two angels only are given in Holy Writ. Michael, who is the executor of God's decrees. Michael, the executor of God's decrees. And Gabriel, the announcer of his purposes. So, the executor and the announcer. Now, here we're told that he appears to Mary, where? City of Galilee. Yeah, in the, in the city of Galilee, or in the city of, in the environs of Galilee, but whereabouts? Nazareth. 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 Now, only in St. Luke alone do we learn that the mother of our Lord, had lived at Nazareth before his birth. Now this is interesting. Matthew doesn't allude to this in his, um, in his gospel. The only thing he alludes to in 2.23 is he came and dwelt in a city of Nazareth that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophets. He shall be called a Nazarene. So, um, only, it's only in Luke that we learn that uh, the mother of our Lord had lived in Nazareth. Now, here, without any contradiction between Matthew and Luke, we have very distinct proof of their total independence of one another. By this. Now the obscurity of Nazareth is such that how many times is it mentioned in the Old Testament? Zero. How many times is it mentioned in the Talmud, which is a commentary on the Old Testament? For a large number of places, otherwise unknown are mentioned that is in the Talmud. How many times is it mentioned in that historian, that great Greek historian of this period who was called Josephus. Josephus. How many times does Josephus notice it? Not once. Yet he speaks of 204 cities and towns in Galilee the area. 
in which Nazareth. Now, this is important in its bearing upon the originality of our Lord's teaching, one has said. In Nazareth, the only instruction he could receive would be in his own family and in the synagogue. There he would not be under the influence of the Grecian culture, nor under those rabbinic teachers with whose whole spirit and system his own teachings most strongly contrasted. I suppose if you looked at the overly looked at the human side of his development, uh, that's a conclusion you can come to. But he was raised up north, not down south, where these influence influences were so strong in some instances. And he comes in and he says, it says to a virgin, and that word can either mean either a young woman or a a virgin, and here we believe it is, as it's indicated, a virgin. Betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph. Uh, Betrothal is uh, somewhat akin to our engagement, except it is much more binding. In fact, the only way, as I understand it, of, of escape from betrothal was, was divorce. So she was betrothed, betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph. That betrothal period often lasted up to a year. So it was um, hands off till marriage. And it says of Joseph that he was of the house of David. So that would make him of which tribe? House of David. Judah. Judah. So he was of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. Verse 28. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. How many of you have in your Bible the phrase, Blessed are you among women? Let me see your hands. Have you got it in there? Anybody not have it? Okay. What about it? Well, one of my favorite authors, Leon Morris, wrote this little book, The Story of the Christ Child. And uh, I, I, I really enjoyed this book. In fact, I've got his commentary here right in front of me electronically of, um, on the Gospel of Luke. But he, he says this. He says, Our Bible goes on Blessed art thou among women. But this should probably be omitted. The words are not found in the most ancient manuscripts at this point. Know how many ancient manuscripts it refers to? Three. Three. And guess what those three have in common? 
Overall, they don't agree among themselves. But those are the ones that all modern textual scholars appeal to. They are found in verse 42. And so he surmises that probably some scribe thought that they fitted in well, fitted in well at this point also. So he inserted them. What in the world is wrong with that? It doesn't even consider who the ultimate author of the scriptures is. Who is that? Is it Luke? Here? Who is it? It was God. Specifically, who? God, God the Holy Spirit. Holy men of God were born along by the Spirit. In, uh, what is it, First Peter one twenty one. Well, anyway. And this, this is, I'm just chagrined at how little this is acknowledged among writers and thinkers and evangelicals, Bible-believing Christian scholars. And this passion passage particularly is, um, how did this get here? They all say, you know, well, we'll get to that in a minute. But, blessed are you among women. Well, so you've got those three manuscripts that um, that refer to that. But out of all of the manuscripts that have this portion of Scripture, 98.6% of them contain that phrase, blessed are you among women. And only those three that we mentioned to you contain. In fact, one of the great the great manuscripts that they rely so heavily on actually does contain it. Codex Alexandrinus, which is a favorite among the uh, that they usually appeal to, does ha- does have it. So, but ninety eight point six statistically that can't happen. That cannot happen. Uh, one textual specialist and his brother got together and they wrote a paper. His brother was a, a statistician at the Pentagon. And anyway, the conclusion that his brother came to by a statistical analysis of the frequency of these manuscripts and this whole phenomenon of th- this vast majority of manuscripts that cohere and agree among themselves was that this can't happen except there must be some outside influence or interference with the whole process. (laughs) So guess who the influence and the interference came from? came from God. It came from God the Holy Spirit. So statistically, you can't get 98.6. And um, so anyway, but 
be that as me. I don't want to get off on too big a sidetrack here in a hobby horse. But um, make sure you have a text if you're going to study deeply that uh, a King James, a New King James, a Young's translation, and sometimes the Darby, the Darby translation will have it, but I looked up Darby and he puts this in italics, which means he's not certain about it. But anyway, uh, so much for that. Oh, one, one word. I'm only talking in relation to this about the New Testament. The Old Testament text is, is uh, you know, I, if you use other translations um, with regard to the Old Testament, you'll find that they pretty much agree among each other. Now, he says here, he calls her, uh, he says, highly favored one, or or as the uh, rejoice, highly favored one, now, the first thing we note here is, I know, is that this phrase, highly favored one, is in what is called the passive voice. What is the, what's the significance of the passive voice? Well, it's, it looks at the subject being acted upon. The ball was thrown by the boy. Okay, the subject was acted upon, the ball. The boy threw the ball. That's, that's uh, the active voice. The boy is throwing. So the boy is throwing the ball. <coughs> so this is a passive voice. You're highly favored. You're highly favored. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. Here's another passive voice. Blessed. So Mary was blessed. Blessed among women. This has led one man to entitle, give her the description, the magnificent mother. Um, and as one man has written with regard to this, um, Non ut mater gratia, sed ut filia gratia. <laughs> what does that mean? Well, he wrote that. And he says, not the mother of grace, but the daughter of grace. And the Vulgate gratia plena is right if it means full of grace, full of grace, which thou hast received, full of grace, which thou hast received, because um, that's what the meaning of this word endowed with grace means. Full of grace, which wrong, if it means full of grace, which thou hast to bestow. So it's right if, for Receiving, you see, Mary was a receiver of grace, not a bestower of grace. Uh, 
have another note on that here. Now this phrase, full of grace, also occurs over in uh, Ephesians 1.6 where it says, To the praise of the glory of His grace by which He made us accepted in the Beloved. Beautiful passage. Okay. So she's a receiver, not a bestower. Now, as we come down to verse 29, ladies, perk perk up your ears, please. I'm going to need to... uh, What's Mary's response according to verse 29? She was troubled. Now Zacharias was troubled too. But Mary was extremely troubled. Uh, Let me get... uh, Ever get to the place when you're studying that you get too many, too many books open? Well, sometime I get to the place where I got too many windows open. <laughs> um, she was troubled. What was she troubled about? What do you think? What does the text say? Wonder what kind of greeting this might be. Right. Was she afraid of the angel? Not necessarily, but she was mad. She was wondering, you know, what 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 might this be all about? In fact, one writer says this: uh, Wilbur Pickering. Who's Wilbur Pickering? Wilbur Pickering is a Wycliffe Bible translator down in Bolivia, and he is a textual specialist. Par excellence. That means he gets these Greek manuscripts and he compares them and collates them. And he says, hey, the best manuscripts are the most prolific in number. And he he writes, uh, he has made his own Greek translation of what he believes is the genuine Greek, what the, is reflected as the genuine Greek text. It, it's it's called the majority text. There are two living Greek specialists that are evangelicals. Uh, Wilbur Pickering is one, and the other one is Eugene Robinson, who teaches New Testament back at Southeast Baptist Theological Seminary. Both of these men are... I have the utmost respect for them. Anyway... Um, Wilbur has made a translation of his Greek New Testament. It's the only English translation of the majority text in in existence. And Wilbur writes, and he has a footnote uh, in his in his text, and he says, "In Zacharias, the angel inspired fear, but Mary sensed immediately that the angel did not represent a menace or threat, and." concentrated on these astounding words. 
Now, ladies, pick up your, tell me, is this, is this true of women? In typical female fashion, she was trying to figure out the hidden agenda. <laughs> ladies, is that, is, is that, is that true? Is that how you? Well, anyway, that's, that is, that's his, I, I, I got a chuckle out of that. In tip, typical female fashion, she was trying. Is that time to quit? <laughs> okay. Um, now, this is, uh, so he tells her uh, this. And, and, uh, and the, the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And... Uh, Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. You will conceive in your womb. Ken? Yeah. You said we could ask a question. Yeah. So are you saying that phrase should be there or shouldn't be there? Which phrase? Uh, about Mary being blessed amongst women. It should be there. Ninety-eight... 98.6% of the manuscripts have that phrase. Blessed are you among women. It should be there. I'm sorry, I didn't make that clear. My wife gets after me while she was still able to. She would say, uh, you spend too much time telling them how the watch is made instead of what time it is. <laughs> It belongs there, yes. Do you, do you, uh, you see that phrase, that word conceive in your womb? Um, that actually conveys the idea of being overshadowed. She was overshadowed by the Holy Spirit. Do you remember back in, um, I think it's Matthew 16, where it talks about the three that went up in the Mount of Transfiguration, and it says that the Holy Spirit came and overshadowed them. And it's the same word there. And in fact, I think if I look that up, I think that's the only two occurrences uh, of the word. So, and uh, I like this. This is speaking with reverent reserve. Gabriel says that the Holy Spirit will come upon Mary and that the power of the Most High will overshadow her. This delicate expression rules out crude ideas of a mating of the Holy Spirit with Mary. Gabriel makes it clear that the conception will be the result of divine activity. Because of this, the child to be born would be holy, the Son of God. Now, let me say that... Uh, 
The virgin birth is a little bit of a misnomer, isn't it? Shouldn't we really call it the virgin conception? Uh, his birth was, the birth of him was quite ordinary and normal outside of the, the circumstances and so forth. But, but um, anyway, the classic work on the virgin birth of Christ was written by John Gresham Machen, of whom uh, he also wrote a book called Christianity and Liberalism. Uh, this was back in the 20s and the 30s, and he uh, he was a real champion. Uh, he he was kicked out of the uh, Presbyterian Church and was one of the founders of the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, a great New Testament scholar. Don't agree with him in his views on salvation entirely, or his emphases. Don't agree with him on his views of eschatology, and um, but uh, a great scholar and a great apologist for the faith, a defender of the faith. Jim, Jimmy, do you ever heard of him? Heard, heard of that book? Um, the virgin birth of Christ. And they said of him, H.L. Uh, Mencken allegedly, and I'm not sure if it was Mencken, I tried to look this up, but um, someone has said that H.L. Mencken, the the literary critic who was just excoriating in, it, in his criticisms, he said, the liberals have yet to answer Machen <laughs> to see what his reputation was. And he wrote this, this book. A modern, a modern copy is uh, uh, is uh, written by uh, Gromacki. I don't remember his first name, but it's called The Virgin Birth of Christ. And I've been reading on that uh, and how this is related to the Trinity and so forth. Now, uh, we come down to let's uh, read along here. Let's see. He says, um, uh, and he's, and you shall call his name Jesus. What's the Old Testament equivalent of Jesus? Does anybody know? Joshua. 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 And what does Joshua mean? Joshua. Savior. 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 And and. Um, so likewise, Jesus. And it says, all these descriptions of him, three here. Well, actually, four. He will be what? Great. Verse 32. And he will be called what? Son of the Most High. Son of the Most High, or Son of the Highest. Now this this construction in in the Greek is interesting, and I'm not going to get into that to tell you how the watch is made, but it, it it's very emphatic, very emphatic, showing the quality of his sonship, and the Lord will give him what the throne of his father David. The throne of his father David. 
his, and his father David was of what tribe? And you remember how David was promised that his throne would be forever back in Samuel? And he will reign over the house of who? And who is Jacob? What's his other name? Israel. He'll reign over the house of Israel forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. Now, is that true today? I'm saying yes. I'm saying no. Is is uh, Jesus reigning over the house of Jacob? No, he is he uh, is he reigning over? Where is the church here? It's not here, is it? No. This is future. When will Jesus come and reign over the house of Jacob forever? When? After the tribulation. After the tribulation. At the second coming, when the what begins? The millennium. The millennium. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. When will the kingdom come? Boy, we have all kinds of ideas about the kingdom today. Is the kingdom in effect today? I don't think so. I don't think so. Pardon? Well, there's people that say that the kingdom of God is... Was it then? When he said that? Certainly. Didn't he come and what, what did he come to do? He offered the kingdom to whom? To Israel. He offered it to Israel. Did they accept it? No. No, they didn't. And so he instigated something new, of which we are all a part. And thank God we are a part of it. God bless us, bless him for getting us all into it. But he knew that when he said it. Pardon? But he already knew that when he said this, or when when this took place. Yeah, well, if you can figure out omniscience, exactly. <laughs> let me know. <laughs> yeah. Well, he knew it. He knew. How, how did he know? How has every dispensation ended? How has every dispensation ended? On man's part. In failure. Every dispensation. You, you go back and look at the different dispensations. Did it end in, end in failure in the Garden of Eden? Sure. And you can go through the. You can go through every dispensation. You can see that it that it ends in failure. How about the Church Age? Doesn't it talk about how bad things are going to become? Sure it does. And how is the overall church today? Terrible. 
Go to a Methodist church. Go to a Presbyterian church, unless it's an isolated one. I understand there's a good one over here on uh, in Gig Harbor, but uh, anyway, if you're of that ecclesiastical ilk. Um, but anyway, let's move on here. Now, we are told that And Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I know not man? The angel said, angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come up. I, I was wrong about what I told you before. Okay, remember this about headstrom. Refine the gold and jettison the tin. <laughs> and I just gave you some tin a little while ago. This is where it talks about the Holy Spirit overshadowing her. And, and referring back to the Spirit of God. This is where it is, not back yonder where I, where we were earlier. Therefore, also that Holy One who is to be called, who is to be born, will be called the Son of God. Son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived. Anybody have a translation that says Elizabeth, your cousin? says your relative. Yeah, it's relative. Uh, and that's that's really what, there are some translations that have cousin. Uh, has also conceived in her old age and now this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. For with God, nothing will be impossible. Anybody see a problem with this? Hmm? Observe, observe, observe. Okay, it, it's what I'm talking about. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative. Even the King James says cousin. Pardon? I was surprised. The King James says cousin. Okay, that that's an interpretation. I understand that. Yeah. I was surprised though. That yeah. Okay. Now, what tribe did Elizabeth belong to? Levi. Yeah. The tribe of Levi. That's told. It's that's told to us earlier in this chapter that she was of the tribe of Levi. Now. What tribe is Mary of? So how can they be relatives if there are different tribes? Okay, it's easily explained if you consider that well, let me read you this note. Some have concluded from the fact that Elizabeth is Mary's kinswoman that Mary must have been of the family of Aaron, as Elizabeth was. And that, that's told to us in Luke 1.5. 
And it says there was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah. His wife, wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. So it's specifically said. They conclude that if we accept the virgin birth, Jesus was not descended from David. But this is to go too far too fast. All the conditions are satisfied if one of Mary's parents was of David's family and the other of Aaron's. So it probably in all likelihood uh, Mary's father was of the tribe of Judah and uh, her, her mother was uh, possibly of, of the uh, Levitic line. Um, because we know there were intertribal marriages, but it's specifically said that uh, Elizabeth was of the tribe of Levi. So the reference to Jesus as descended from David made when Joseph's reaction was yet undetermined shows that Mary must have been able to claim Davidic descent. So it's... uh, and the man that wrote that was the one that I took issue with, who gave the explanation for it, the one who t- I took issue with earlier. So, refine the gold and jettison the tin. Refine the gold and jettison the tin. Okay, let's move on. And uh, in verse. Uh, let's read on here question no I just said we're at 38 okay so he tells her about the coming of this child that her her um, agent uh, kinswoman had was going to have and uh, it says um, in what condition was Elizabeth what does the text say in verse 36 pardon yeah she's in, in the phrase is in her old age in her old age and this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. So then Mary said, Behold the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. For with God nothing will be impossible earlier. And so here's Mary's assertion. Behold the maidservant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. What an amazing statement. What an amazing statement. She was a daring girl. Yeah. Uh, some, uh, they, they say that uh, betrothal took place as early as 12 years old back in those days. Um, certainly, Fifteen was not the question. So she was a very, very young girl. Um, so 
with this announcement, what did Mary need to do? What did she need to do? She needed to talk to somebody. There weren't many people she could talk to. There weren't, were there? She couldn't talk to Joseph at this stage. So she arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste. Now this this phrase, went into the hill country with haste, uh, tells you these were rural folk. And it, it actually means that you rural folk, folk down in the Key Peninsula are tame compared to uh, the hill country. So they were... Uh, few and far between to a city of Judah she rose and went into the hill country with haste to a city of Judah and there's no word for village or um, what do you a what? there's no such word no. yeah there's no such word so it's just a little uh, a little hamlet or whatever and uh, what do they call Key Center? It's not a city. What do they call intersection? Uh huh. Intersection. <laughs> well, anyway, and it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary that the babe leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she spoke with a loud voice. Why did she speak with a loud voice? Well, do you know how Wilbur Pickering, the guy I referred to earlier, how he translates this? The baby bounced up and down. (laughs) Um, This would possibly, although it's an inference, I couldn't, this would possibly indicate to me that the conception in Mary's womb had already taken place and that John the Baptist was cognizant of this in some manner or fashion or another. Anyway, he was excited. You know, children in the womb are living human beings that are able to understand what's going on in the outside. Now, this was obviously supernatural, but uh, um, this is why it's been suggested that, and some mothers do this, they read to their children before they're born. They read the the scriptures. They, they, uh, they, They play good Christian music before the child is born. But anyway, born into a godly home, into a godly home, the babe uh, jumped up and down in her womb, leaped up and down. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. She she knew. She knew. And uh, she knew the purpose of her son who was to come. And then she speaks with a loud voice. Blessed are you among women. Now there's, uh, there's a number of... Uh, Well, let me read you this 
translation that Pickery gives. Yes, indeed, because as the sound of your salutation came into my ears, the babe bounced up and down in my womb for joy. And he says the clear implication is that baby John was aware, was already that uh, was already aware a person was in the womb. So that's his son. And this this word for bounce up and down actually means exuberant springing motion, to leap or to spring. So uh, to spring about. Now, uh, the use of the title of my Lord shows that Elizabeth recognized that Mary's child would be the Messiah. Uh, Lord, the term Lord is used of God 25 times in chapters 1 and 2. It's an exalted title. Title of exaltation. Now, one writer has said this in regard to uh, Mary's uh, see if I could put my finger on it here with regard to um, yeah I hear this one of the marks of a spirit filled life it says she was filled with the Holy Spirit What's the difference between the church age and the Holy Spirit and the church or the, the, the condition of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament? Indwelling or coming upon. Yeah. They weren't filled with the... The, the filling was temporary and occasional in the Old Testament. But uh, in the New Testament, it says that our bodies are what? The temple of the Holy Spirit. He resides within us. This is why it can be said, Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed into the day of redemption. And, and other things. But one of the marks of a spirit-filled life is speaking in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Do you like to sing? I do. I think we all do. As, as long as it's not 7-Eleven stuff. You know what 7-Eleven stuff is, don't you? Seven words repeated 11 times. You got it. Seven words repeated 11 times. Ephesians 5, 18 and 19 indicates this. And do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all of all things. To God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. We're not surprised, therefore, that we find three songs in this chapter of Luke 1. First, we have this salutation 
of Elizabeth. And we need to, to look at this. Can I ask a question? Yeah. I've never noticed it before, but it seems like Elizabeth is saying this before Mary told her what happened. Uh, okay, do, do earlier Elizabeth knew what John's function was going to be. He was going to be a forerunner of the Messiah. So she was expecting the Messiah. And it was the hope, as I understand it, uh, I read it in at least two places, that the hope of every Jewish mother was to be the mother of the Messiah. And I think that when Mary greeted her, uh, John bounced up and down. <laughs> and then the Holy Spirit came upon her, and uh, she knew. And so this is her, this is her utterance. Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Oh boy, we got our hustle. But why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. Blessed is she who believed, for there will be a fulfillment of those things which were told her from the Lord. Mary believed. And Mary said, and then you have this beautiful utterance by Mary. My soul magnifies the Lord. And we don't have time to go into all the details of the sing. Six things that God has done for her in here in this beautiful passage. Wonderful passage. My question is, how did he get here? This delicate phraseology and everything. I asked one guy this in connection with, uh, and he said, well, Mary must have written it down and gave it to Luke. You think Mary could have remembered all of this in such vivid detail? Well, probably a great deal of it. But this is exactly what was said and what, what happened. How did he get here then? How did he get here? The author of the book. And who's the author of the book ultimately? God the Holy Spirit. May have been Luke. One man has written a book called The Medical Language of Luke. And he goes through and he shows the, uh, it, it may have been Luke. There's good, good indication that it possibly was. And, uh, but, friends, this is beyond Luke. I think it's beyond Mary. I think it's beyond Elizabeth. They, they may have set down some things or one thing or another, but we have in our hands what the Holy Spirit wants us to have. And in detail. Just some tremendous promises in here to Mary, to Elizabeth. You ever think, go through this, this Magnificat and look at the promises of this, of this section. Just look at the promises. What's the, what's the greatest promise that God has given to us in John 3.16. 
Eternal life. Eternal life. All the promises that God has given to us, the greatest is eternal life. I'm going to write a track someday, Jim. God's greatest gift for man's deepest need. What's man's deepest need? Forgiveness? If you get forgiveness and all of those other things that Jesus brought to us and bequeathed to us, what good is it? What's the most important thing? It's the important thing. Eternal life. Eternal life. That's the greatest promise. Why doesn't man get eternal life? Because he's sin and separated from God forever. Yeah. Man is sinful, but he needs eternal life. That's the deepest need of man. He needs eternal life. God, God's promises are faithful, and he's promised to give us eternal life. Bless his holy name for that. God's promises are so faithful. I wondered about one promise of God a long time ago. Let me tell you a story. I'll close with this. I promise. Um, better is the end of a thing than the beginning thereof. Where's that from? Proverbs. Right, in Proverbs. And I wondered about that verse when I came to the place after I'd left the pastoral ministry. I had collected over the years about 5,000 volumes. I had this large library. It was housed at that stage up at um, Northwest Baptist Seminary, and students could come into the library and use it, along with the regular books in the library that they could check out. And it came to the place where I was in business that I uh, could have used that the, that the asset that that was in the business. So I, I just felt like there wasn't any prospect or hope of con- continuing in the pastoral ministry. So I called the district superintendent. You heard this story the other day, Jim. And uh, I asked him, uh, hey, how does the pastoral grass grow out there? What do, uh, I've got to make some decisions here. And uh, he says, well, he says, let me be quite frank with you, Ken. He said, um, right now there are three open churches that are looking for a pastor. And uh, he says, I've got two that that uh, may come online. One of them is going to need a bivocational pastor. He said, right now I've got about 160 active pastoral resumes in my file. Now, this is just in the district of the Northwest, so I thought, well. <laughs> so with a great deal of grief, because of all of the time and the work it took to gather these uh, books, and I tried to get the best. I used to spend hours going through book lists and checking off and and then making a contact and see if they still had them. And, and uh, 
anyway, I, I, uh, I, um, I sold it. And um, so I, I, uh, I uh, came to the place where I, uh, I still started to buy some things now and then. I, I kept all my language books and all of my grammars and all of the nuts and bolts and the things that I sold all the rest of the commentaries, the histories, the theologies and so forth. And so I began to work in bookstores later on. I worked at Dightman's. I worked at Northwest Baptist Seminary Bookstore. I finally came to the place where I was managing the bookstore at Northwest Baptist Seminary. One day, I, we set up outside the bookstore, which was just adjacent to the, to the deli, a nice couch so people could take a book and sit down and peruse it. And, and, and uh, one day, I, I went out there, and here was one of the first-year students, and he had, he, had his, uh, he had his Kindle open. And I said, so what are you reading? And he told me what he was reading. It was one of the textbooks. She says, yeah, yeah, I got three of them in here, three, three textbooks. And so he was reading them electronically. And I knew this was coming. <laughs> but I went back in the bookstore and I said to myself, the jig is up. <laughs> and since then, of course, uh, bookstores have been closing all across the country. There's usually only one major bookstore because of, because of the available of these electronically. Okay, so where are we today? How has God kept his promise? I now have at my fingers ends over triple the amount of books I had then. And I have things accessible that, you know, the library in Northwest Baptist Seminary is no longer there. They moved the seminary down to Gore Corbin University and all the journals. The journals are excellent for study. Got those journals here, right at fingers end. It's just amazing. It's overwhelming almost. So, is better is the end of a thing than the beginning thereof? I have to say a hearty amen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for all of the resources. I'm sorry that it makes it sound like, for me, I'm sorry it makes me tell you how the watch is made, but uh, be that as it's made. Let's pray. We thank you for the great promises, Father, that you have given to us through your word. We're thankful for our Lord Jesus Christ, who is the one who makes these promises available and is the giver and the sustainer. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's open our hymn.